It's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, and this is Monster Mondays, presented by Film Seizure. For this week's episode, I'm doing something a little bit different. I mean, the last several episodes were classier productions that I talked about, so I want to mix things up for this week. To do so, I need to go over to Full Moon Features and check out one of that studio's catalogs. So let's dive in to 1987's Creepazoids, directed by David Dakota. Full Moon itself is something I've covered quite often on my website, B-Movie The library of writer, producer, director, and head of Full Moon's Charles Band ranges wildly from being ambitious to being actually very well made and well crafted to being complete schlock that's fun to being utter Z-grade stuff that probably isn't really worth, isn't really up to snuff, if you know what I mean. Most people who are in their teens and the late 80s or so, at least through the mid-90s, probably saw at least one of the Trancers films or one of the Puppet Master series or maybe Demonic Toys and maybe even a subspecies flick. These were the real bread and butter series for Band as Full Moon was pumping out content to fill video store shelves. And to be quite honest, most of Full Moon's earlier stuff gets by on nostalgia more than earnest quality. They aren't really all that bad, but they survive and continue to be watched by monster kids of a certain age because of that nostalgia of going to the video stores on a Friday or Saturday night and trying to find something fun to watch at your sleepover. As for David Dakota, though, this is a guy who has had a very bizarre career. Creepazoids would be his first 35mm film he ever directed, and he's known for really fun, kitschy, and tongue-in-cheek kind of horror and sci-fi. He also did a lot of fun comedic stuff, too. Aside from Creepazoids, he's probably best known for other Linnea Quigley movies like Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolorama and Nightmare Sisters. He then often used the pseudonym Ellen Cabot to do more exploitation boner comedies like Beach Beach Babes from Beyond and Test Tube Teens from the year 2000, which is also known as Virgin Hunters. By the end of the 90s, he would release The Killer Eye, which is one of the more bizarre creature features that also maybe tipped some off as to really what he's going to be doing in the 2000s. By the 2010s, he started dabbling heavy into gay erotic exploitation movies. Look, nothing wrong with that whatsoever, but I find it fascinating how many of these movies he's made that start with a number, in particular the number 1313. I've tried to look up the significance of that number, but haven't really found anything, so for the most part, I believe those 1313 movies are all made with a heavy slant on homoerotic themes. But he also made movies like Santa Summer House, A Talking Cat, and The Magic Puppy. He's just an interesting dude. And then there's Linnea Quigley, who's in this playing Bianca. Well, she's one of the greatest B-movie queens of all time. And and she's just in about every classic 80s B-movie horror film made uh, between the years of, oh, probably about 1984 or 5 through till about 1990. If there was a B-movie, particularly if it was direct-to-video, there's a good chance that she was either in it or asked to be in it. For Creepazoids, we start with a lady working in a lab and getting attacked by a giant monster before we get some 
backstory about what's going on in the world. In, 1980, in 1992, rather, uh, the world superpowers engaged in a big nuclear volley, and the world is basically crap now. There are acid rains, there are mutants, and basically no civilization to really speak of outside of major cities or rebuilt cities. We meet five U.S. Army deserters. They seek shelter from that acid rain in what appears to be in an, in an abandoned warehouse or some kind of storage facility. It looks like, uh, like where I go and have some of my stuff uh, stored at the self-storage place. You know, it's got like the little wooden doors and the, and the locks on them and the, uh, you know, like the master locks, stuff like that. But one of the soldiers, Jesse, discovers a diary that reveals that communication with New Los Angeles has suddenly stopped and that one of the scientists working at the warehouse with some amino acids is starting to act uh, kind of strange and creepy. Not only that, but the research they are working on seems to be shifting in terms of the desired outcome. While reading the diary, he hears what sounds like something that isn't just a mouse or a rat rummaging around. He goes into the vents and finds this goopy black stuff and a room of weird cocoons. He's then attacked by the same creepazoid monster that attacked the lady before the credits, and what's weird though is that the next morning, Jesse is back in his bed and is woken up for breakfast. At breakfast, Jesse goes into like these kind of uh, almost like uh, epileptic fits and starts spitting up black goo and his eyes turn yellow. Eventually, he collapses and dies. Another soldier, Kate, ponders if the building is maybe a containment building designed to keep something in, as opposed to storing things. Upon learning about the amino acid stuff, Kate wonders if this place experimented with the idea of making it possible for people to produce their own amino acids. If that was the case, then Jesse essentially died because he overate. Upon further investigation, Linnea Quigley's Bianca finds a corpse hanging in a closet. She also sees the creepazoid creature. Uh, and in the monster's lair, the two guys still alive, Butch and then the leader character, Jake, come to the realization that maybe this creature doesn't want to kill anyone. When they hear some noises in another room, they go to investigate only to find a giant rat that attacks Butch and bites him on the wrist. Butch and Jake go to call for some help because things are a little out of their ability to control at this point, and they get attacked by the main creepazoid. Meanwhile, Bianca and Kate get attacked by the giant rat, and the rat bites Kate on the throat, and the big bad monster sprays stuff on the Butch's face to make his face ultimately melt in the following scene. Bianca is then attacked by the mutated Kate before she kills the monster Kate and Bianca finds an unconscious Jake but then she's attacked and killed by the big bad creepazoid herself and just like that Jake is the only one left and in the ensuing chase Jake tries hiding in a storage room and happens to find some needles and syringes now he thinks that he has something that he can use against the monster but the only problem is is that he has to be able to get close enough without being killed and then be able to actually know what he's doing with the stuff that he's found. 
The creature spends several minutes tossing Jake around like a rag doll, which is actually pretty funny. Uh, but he is able to ultimately sneak up on the monster and inject it with, I don't know, something that seems to defeat the creature uh, in, but like maybe an unexpected way as well, because out from the big black creature's skull, a smaller fleshy colored baby creepazoid emerges. This extends to the final climactic fight with Jake for, I don't know, like another 10 minutes or so with the baby. It's actually rather hilarious how long this final scene goes on for. Like, for real, it's a 20-minute scene of David first fighting the big bad creepazoid and then the baby in a single room, in a single setting. The big bad monster, though, is cool-looking, and the baby monster is cool-looking, but this movie is only like 72 minutes long, and 20 minutes of that is the final scene in that storage room. So... The movie ends with both Jake surviving as well as the baby creature. It's it's just it's a bonkers final act. So let's get to my three things I like about this movie. First up, this movie is actually competently made while still playing to what it is, a cheap B-movie creature feature. Creepazoids was made for only about $150,000 over the course of a couple of weeks in a warehouse they were able to borrow for the for the sets. Uh, there are shots in this where the camera is peering through other things in the foreground with the, uh, you know, and then with the camera on a dolly track. So I appreciate how lighting is used to try to at least set a tone to cover over the lack of large sets or what have you. So to set a good tone when uh, one of the s soldiers is going through a computer's files to see what they can learn about whatever the warehouse was up to before they arrived, well, that has like this green light shining up on the guy's face and also down onto the keyboard. Green's a good color for possibly bad stuff or stuff that has to do with chemicals or contamination. I just get the impression that the people making this movie simply knew how to do some things to help make up for some of the other deficiencies and I really kind of appreciate that. Second, the giant rat creatures are adorable in two ways. In one, they are simply cute stuffed animal monsters. In another way, it's just a movie that needs more than its one big monster, so it just did what it could with whatever anyone could make. And that's when you know the movie has at least some spirit to it. I doubt anyone making this movie thought it was going to be, you know, like an award-winning movie or anything like that. So everyone is just basically having fun here. And that's the sort of spirit that sometimes puts a movie over the top from being garbage to being charming trash. Thirdly, the main monster is, as I said before, pretty cool looking. It's big, it's got this big bulbous head, it's black, it's gooey. It's got these spiky mandibles and claws. It's great. And the movie takes a lot from Alien, including the monster itself. And if you have to rip off a movie, Alien might be the best to do with like a limited budget and a limited amount of sets and really only a few actors. The creature also has this spit stuff that can sometimes blow up a computer, but it can also spray the stuff onto a person and cause their faces to melt and for the people to mutate. It shows what you can do with just the right amount of low lighting and enough slimy stuff. Also, the half-baby, half-monster creepazoid is nice and gross, too, particularly when it tears its own umbilical cord out of its mommy monster. 
So that wraps up this week's Monster Mondays. Don't forget to check out new episodes of Film Seizure every Wednesday and a new installment of Monster Mondays each Monday on FilmSeizure.com, as well as places where fine podcasts are found, like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. Additionally, hop on over to Facebook and Twitter to follow us by just searching for Film Seizure. You can also check out new posts at my website, bmovieenema.com, each and every Friday. So until then... And until next week, stay spooky.